Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 57. Straight to heaven or highway to hell. And you know what? What? I am a year older. But are you wiser? Never. Y'all, I I don't even, like, literally there are no words for y'all's birthday messages to me. Like, when I woke up, I don't know, I woke up hot that morning, like, <laughs> on the wrong side of the bed. Like, I don't even remember what it was, but I was like, like, already bitching about shit. And Donna was like, well, have a good day. Just listen to something good on your way to work. And I was like, okay. My sister Casey called me and was like, she was like, what you doing? I was like, driving to work. And luckily, for some unknown reason, I actually got up and was like early to work. And she was like, well, oh God, how'd she say it? Like, what's that thing that, what y'all, what's that announcement y'all put put out today? And I was like, oh, shit. Let me go see. <laughs> and at first I was like, oh, Donna like recorded me this message. And then I looked at my radio and it said, that it had like 26 minutes left. And I was like, oh, that can't be right. Because, you know, sometimes <laughs> it'll mess up the minutes, you know? Yeah. It'll say that you have 36 seconds left and it's like the very beginning of an episode of something that's two hours long, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, look at my phone. And I was like, 26 minutes is left. What the hell? Donna surely ain't going to talk for 26 minutes. <laughs> I mean, she could, but surely she isn't. And then I was a blubbering ball of tears and snot and emotion yes i couldn't y'all creep mom Teresa, because i told him i was like y'all like i could not stop crying she was like i think we broke carrie because <laughs> <laughs> it was like i i was a, a mess it was almost like star is born cry <laughs> right oh yay it was i can y'all thank you so freaking much the amount of time and effort that so many of y'all put into this, the amount of times that Donna and Teresa Creep Mom and Morgan and Will got put in Facebook jail. <laughs> like, y'all are amazing. And thank y'all, everybody, for putting the time in, writing poems and songs and... Skits. I I just... The, the amount of love that I felt was unlike anything I've ever experienced. Aww. So, thank y'all... From the bottom of my heart, like, I cannot say thank you enough. Now, what the fuck am I going to do for Donna's birthday? (laughs) Because how the fuck am I going to top that? I told you. Alpaca farm, finger food, i.e. little sandwiches, and those pedophores, which are mini cakes. Of course, Mm -hmm. like, finger food for sure. That's what I want. Okay. Guys, what am I going to (laughs) do? Now you're going to have to do it like a week early, so I'm not expecting it. I know. I'm going to be like, or late and be like, fuck, it was your birthday? (laughs) You would never believe that. No. You know what else I have to share? What? New Patreoner. Alert, alert. Chelsea S. from Utah. You sure? You not tall. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Thank you so much, Chelsea so welcome to the fam, the creepa naughty fam. I don't know. I I drank a lot of coffee today. <laughs> oh, one more thing. Back to the birthday thing, because oh, it's Lord. still my birthday month. It's all about me. <laughs> no, I also wanted to say thank you so much to Tracy and Opal for your cards that you both made for me, which were so freaking cute, like handmade, 
amazing little cards. Like they I really were. Them. So thank y'all so freaking much for taking the time out to send those, make them, and send them. I know. I need hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> this is your hobby. I know, but I need I need to be able to make them because I love those stuff. I like I love that, but I will spend eighty dollars. To get my, like, stash up, and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to make some cards. And then I'm like, oh, shit, their birthday's tomorrow. Let me go to Walgreens and pick Buy out a card. card. Not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> go to said drugstore. <laughs> and buy a five-fucking-dollar card. Uh-huh. But see, that's the thing with me with anything. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I can't think <laughs> okay, of anything. Okay, great. It's such that blah blah blah. It looks so good hanging on your walls. <laughs> you can hang it. You can lean it. You okay? But I will spend so much money on the tools, mm-hmm. on the every because I don't have shit. So it's yeah. like, oh well, you got to go buy a fucking glue gun. Mm-hmm. Then you got to go buy the glue. Oh, now you got to buy the wreaths. Okay, that's something I've recently started making wreaths. And it's like, oh, you don't have any wire cutters? Buy those. Oh, you don't have any of the wire stuff? Buy that. And it's just like, Jesus, God. $200 later, we have a really cool wreath. I know, that I could have bought for 100 but I spent $8 million. Yeah. <laughs> but I made it. I'm proud. Blah, blah. <laughs> All right. So, blah, blah, onto your story. Damn. Let's get it. Oh, well, also, let me say, mm-hmm. <laughs> blah, blah. No. She said thank you, but I want to say thank y'all, too, for helping a girl out because I could not have done it without y'all. Yeah, y'all did that like hella fast. Also, y'all, we recorded like the day before my birthday and she didn't say a damn word. I have never seen this girl hold a secret. <laughs> I think I'm I'm surprised that she did not spontaneously combust. I was stress eating like a mofo. I Like truly, I, I'm, sh- I'm shocked that you kept it a secret. <laughs> Easter candy has been in my belly multiple times. <laughs> well, I'm the one that bought it. What's my excuse? <laughs> but thank y'all really so much. And we hope you enjoy this episode. All right. So today I'm doing Bundy. No, you're not. I mean, I am, but not that one. <laughs> no, I was like, no, you're not. <laughs> you ain't getting me on that one. <laughs> y'all should have seen her face. She was just like. Fuck. Okay. I am doing a lady by the name of Carol Mary Bundy. Okay. Not related to Ted. The reason why I chose her is because we've all been this this girl. Oh, shit. She just had... I mean, well, she had such a shitty life, but... Speak for yourself. No, th- that's not the part I'm talking about. We've all been there in some sort of relationship where... We've tried to make fetch happen when it really wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And that was totally her MO. And like, I can, I mean, I'm not going on a murderous rampage, but I, I can, I feel her. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. This means I'm probably going to not feel her. Yeah. Cause we are completely opposite when mm-hmm. it comes to this. Look, you do something to Donna. She is like, cut you out of her motherfucking life after she cuts you real fucking deep with her words. <laughs> she will, no holds barred, like, you will you will leave crying. And I'm like, he didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. It's okay. He really, he didn't mean it. Blah, blah, blah. Carol had, a, of course, like I said, a really shitty childhood. But initially, when she started seeing psychiatrists, she 
like all she could remember were the happy moments. She had created this wall and I don't know, I guess pushed the terrible memories back and in, deep into her subconscious to where she just was not having it, you know? Well, both of her parents were really bad alcoholics. They moved a lot. Her dad worked um, at the movie theater. He was like, like he would like troubleshoot the machines and shit. And her mom was a cosmetologist. What year is this? She was born in 42. Okay. 1942. So her mom, being like this cosmetologist, was very into physical appearance. Carol was kind of an awkward kid. I hate to even say this about a child, but unattractive, they say. I don't know. Why is an eight-year-old attractive? That's fucking, you're an asshole. But she wasn't, but she just wasn't able to live up to her mom's expectations of her. Yeah. And when she was eight years old, she gets off the school bus, goes up to her house, and her mom's locked her out of the house. What? And she's like, stand in the door, tears, pleat, like, let me in. And her mom is like, go away. You're not my little girl. Like, you're not welcome here. Bye. And so eventually the the dad intervened and was like, no, you, you have to fucking let her in. Like, you're being ridiculous. You have to let her in. And reluctantly, her mom was like, okay, she can come in. But, like, wouldn't even acknowledge her in the room. What the hell? The mom was kind of restrained by the dad from being physically abusive to the kids. But, like I said, that she would just, like, go crazy spanking them with a belt. Like, I mean, look, I got spanked by a belt as a kid, but not like I was spanked by a belt. You know, like, she would be, like, yeah. a true beating. as a, You know, mm-hmm. no matter where you stand on spanking, I'm not saying either way. But how she spanked was not how I got spanked. Yeah. It said that she would spank them with a belt... And she would not stop until someone dragged her off of them. Holy fuck. And that if the kids cried when she was beating them, she would beat them even more. Because, like, they weren't allowed to show emotion. So, like, there was this one time that Carol was sitting in the chair just reading a comic book. And her mom was, like, beating her while she was just sitting there reading. And, like, because she didn't acknowledge it and she just, like, kind of pretended like she was just sitting there reading, ignoring it. It kind of gave her control over the situation instead of making her mom fall off the handle even more. And so it helped her get out of that situation. That's so weird. Yeah. So for a little while, it's almost like Carol like idolized her dad because he would keep her mom from beating them so badly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, made her mom let her back in the house at fucking eight years old. All this stuff. Well, when Carol was, I think, 14, her mom died of a heart attack. And the, I think it was the day her mom died. Her dad, like, sat her and her sister down and was like, okay, y'all have to take the place of your mom. And took Carol into the bedroom and forced her to have sex with him that night. What the fuck? hmm And it said that, the abuse continued for eight months, and then he got remarried. Not long after her dad started raping her, mm-hmm. she started, like, going out in the streets at night and, like, running naked. Like, she was just... Bless it. She... Because you also have to think, she's 14. Mm-hmm. It was saying, like, by the time she was 15, she had just started learning how to use sex and sex appeal to get what she wanted. God. She blossomed early. And so she had large breasts that was kind of one of the things that she was known for you know 
And so she would just use her sexuality to get what she wanted. And so, like, apparently she was hooking up with a lot of the kids. She was even having sex with one of the bus drivers for the school. And, like, these sexual encounters, too, would be, like, oral sex for the guy. You know, so it wasn't like she was even getting any sexual satisfaction. Satisfaction? Not a word. You know what I'm trying to say. What am I trying to say? Satisfaction? Yeah. That word. She's not getting any satisfaction from it. She just is getting the attention that she's craving Mm -hmm. in that moment because she's so attention-seeking. Yeah. After her dad got remarried, though, he started to beat her regularly. He would tell her that she was fat and stupid. And a couple of months after he got married, she came home and the house was fucking empty. Uh, Wait. The cat was dead. (gasps) And his, her dad's shotgun case was laid on the living room floor with blood on it. And then her dad comes home and he tells like to this empty house that she's found in or that she finds. I mean, and he's like, he said that he wanted to kill the whole family so he could start off with his new wife, but Carol was able to get the gun from him. So, like, he was about to, like, kill his whole family. Carol wrestles the fucking gun from him and is, you know, everybody's safe now. And so she and her sister Vicky have to go to foster homes. Wow. So after, like, they, they go to a few different foster homes. They end up going to their grandma's house in Michigan. But within less than a year, their father gets custody back of them. How? I don't fucking know. I guess because it's 1950-whatever. Because she was born in 42, so she was probably 15 or 16. So, 1958? Mind-boggling. So, when she was 17, she was like, I've got to get the fuck up out of here. Yeah. So, she married a man. He was 56 years old. Wow. Okay. So, his name was Leonard. But she... So, he was also an alcoholic. And he wanted her to become a sex worker to support them. What? And so she was like, I'm fucking out. So she meets another guy named Richard Geis. He's a little more age appropriate. He's 32. (laughs) He's a writer of pornography and science fiction. Okay. I cannot make this shit up. Okay. Also, what did he write? I mean, titles. I need dates. (laughs) I mean, was it science fiction porn or was it porn and some science fiction shit? I'm not into science fiction porn. I mean, be willing to try it. (laughs) Star in it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, probe me, alien. Probe me harder. (laughs) So, okay. She's been put down by all the men. Well, honestly, everybody in her life, primarily men. So, although she was not really into old Richard Geis, she just, she, he was out of convenience. It Mm -hmm. helped her get away from the grandpa that she married. And he was encouraging to her because he was like, you know what? You're smart. You're witty. Like, you should start writing. And so, she started to write a novel, but then she got 12 pages in and stopped. But. Damn, is she me? I know. But then they did put out one issue of a science fiction fan magazine and then she started she started doing like cartoon drawing and she was actually good at that too but then she gave it up she just didn't have the like follow through Mm -hmm. you know she was smart she did have talent but she just didn't have the like the gumption Mm -hmm. of the follow through 
in okay, so in nineteen sixty two, her dad died by suicide. He mm-hmm. hanged himself. And it said, you know, her husband at the time was Richard, and he says that she took it really hard. Like because she internalized a lot of guilt and responsibility for his her dad's actions for his abuse to her. And so it was kind of like this moment in time where it all came to her. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like she she was really good at being the victim. Mm-hmm. And so she just took on that guilt and took on all this stuff. And so she had a really hard time when her dad died. So at that point, something, I don't know if it's because of that. I don't know if, I don't know. I don't know if she's truly bisexual, but she started having sex with women instead of men. But here's the thing, though. It was like if, okay, so she, let's say she was dating and having sex with a man and something happened and he betrayed her. She would go, her next partner would be a woman. And when that woman would betray her, she'd be like, I'm done with women. And she'd go back to men. Yeah. And she'd be like, I'm done with men and go back to women. So I don't think it really had anything to do with her true sexuality. I think Mm -hmm. it was just, again, she was the victim. She was this. She was, you know, it was her, that attention seeking Mm -hmm. and trying to fit that role that she felt like she was in. Well, eventually, she gave up on all of that, and she went back to her husband, old Richard. Oh, Lord. So they moved back to Oregon, and when they get there, he finds out that she's working as a sex worker to make money on the side. And he's like, this girl needs help. But instead of actually getting her help, he's like, look, I'll pay for you to go to nursing school. So she goes to nursing school, does really well, class valedictorian well. Wow. After the whole, like, she went to nursing school and all, they ended up getting a divorce. Well. Go ahead. Do your spiel. What? He supported her through nursing school. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he supported her through nursing school. She gets out, starts to make money, and leaves him. No. I mean, she did. But (laughs) so this is when she remarries, and she marries Grant Bundy. Ergo, Carol Bundy. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere. She's <laughs> So she's a nurse. She, you know, her life is together. Their marriage is stable. They've everything's going good. She gets pregnant and she has her first son, Chris. And that is when the decline of their marriage started. According to Carol, he started physically abusing her. Mm-hmm. He would emotionally and verbally abuse her, telling her she's worthless and all this stuff. He would push her to the ground, he would beat her, he would do all these things. And so she left him to go be with a woman again. And she's with this woman. She spends like thousands of dollars on her. Like they go always do all this shit. She spends all this fucking money. And then she's like, oh, well, shit. And goes back to Grant because she's like, fuck, now I'm out of money. I spent all my money on this other woman. Well, while she's nursing, while she was with Grant, her eyesight starts deteriorating and getting, I mean, like, really bad to where she they thought she was going to be blind. Mm. And so... Syphilis. <laughs> Does syphilis make you go blind? I thought. I don't know. I know it makes you lose your mind. If I think so, like, if it goes untreated. Hmm. Well, I don't know. Wait, what's the... What's the um, Gonorrhea? No, what, maybe. What's the... Um, Chlamydia? Will you let me finish the goddamn thought? (laughs) (laughs) The clap. God damn it! (laughs) What is... Go ahead, because I know you're going to do it one more time. I'm going to keep it. Nope. 
you're not. I'm telling you, as soon as I start, you're going. Anyway, what is the STI that they put the silver the, the silver cream on your eyes when you're born? Because it gets in your, like, if it was so common that now everybody gets it on their eyes. I don't know how to pronounce it. But basically, it prevents pink eye. And it says chlamydia and gonorrhea. Hey, I was right. Tally, half a tally for Donna. Um, but also E. coli. Hey, see if chlamydia... Um, wait, no, what did I say? I don't know. You it said 85 you, different things. No, it makes you go blind. Syphilis. Okay, symptoms of Symptoms of ocular syphilis. syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> symptoms of ocular syphilis include changes to your vision and even blindness. Tally for Donna. So we'll make that whole... They'll make that half a tally a whole one. Yay! Okay, well... Look, now that we've done STI 101, so he's like, basically, Grant's like, this bitch is about to go blind and going to leave me with these two boys to take care of. Wait, she has another kid? Yeah, they have another kid. Details, Carrie, details. And so his abuse gets more and more and more aggressive. Fuck him! Because he can't handle it. I mean, not making excuses for him. Don't fucking beat someone, you dumbass. But... um, (laughs) you. You dumbass. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was such a good comeback. <laughs> so anyway, she ended up leaving him, taking the kids. They go to a shelter. After she leaves him, two weeks later, she finds her little apartment in the suburb of the San Fernando Valley. Okay. And so this is when she has her kids with her. So at this point, nine-year-old Chris and five-year-old, I never found his name. One of the articles called him David, but it also said in parentheses, not his real name. Oh. <laughs> so I don't fucking know. Okay, can I just get on a soapbox for a second? No. Okay. Well, I am anyway. (laughs) There were so many articles that, when they were talking about her, talked about that she was overweight. And it pissed me the fuck off. Like, it would be like, I guess I'll get into it more, but every time it would talk about her with these men and men that would, like, run all over her, it would be like, because they didn't, basically it was like they were saying, it's because they didn't really love her because she was overweight. You know what I mean? It, it, there were a bunch of articles, and I was like, these bitches are getting me fucking lit reading right? these articles. I was not chill. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's... I know. Well, okay, here's the thing. I get it. It's it's a physical attribute. Descriptor. Yeah. I get that. Totally. Whatever. You want to say plump Carol, whatever. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of a C word for Carol. Curvy. Yeah, curvy Carol, blah, 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 blah. Perfect. But then to say that these people who abuse her and all of this Mm -hmm. shit do it because she's curvy or overweight or Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. Again, you're what's wrong with the system. Mm -hmm. Like, for you to say that, you're a dumb fuck. Yeah. Oh, it just was, it just... It made me so mad when I was reading it because she's not less than because she's... She's actually more than. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) But, you know, like, she's not less than. Just like a victim who is a sex worker isn't less than. Just like a victim who is anything isn't less than because of X, Y, and Z. Well, and here's the thing. You cannot put your own preference... On anyone else. Mm -hmm. So you don't know... If he's a chubby chaser or not. And if he is, because... Well, the thing is, is that more men are chubby chasers than they let on. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Like, they're quote-unquote embarrassed to be chubby chasers. Yeah. Just fucking be who you are. Right? Like, fuck. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that it's not just the other things that we just talked about. They also use it describing how unattractive she is. Like, it's talking about, like, this one couple's talking about when they first met her when she moved into those apartments. And it's like, when they met her, she was 36, overweight, cropped brown hair, thick glasses. Like, you know, they're using it in a way... To paint her, to paint a picture of her being unattractive because, again, these men walked all over her, used her, and she was so attention seeking mm-hmm. that she let it happen. But it's like they're trying to say because she was unattractive, because she was fat, because she had glasses, because she was yeah. this, because she was that. That's why these men used her because she was unattractive. And these are the qualities that made her unattractive. Yeah. Also, did they just describe me and. <laughs> you're only 33 (laughs) true and also and your glasses aren't thick but my waist is (laughs) seriously this is what we know yeah and we're not we really are not diminishing anything no 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 no, because good lord we yes we can't even fathom all of that i mean we acknowledge that Mm mm-hmm but this is what we, this is what affects us. Yes, this is this is the bias that we have in our lives mm-hmm. because and, of our size. Well, and I mean, if you think about it too, like even kids shows, because, you know, kids, they have no filter. Mm-hmm. But even kids shows will say like the big fat cat, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. To do that, because then that kid is going to say something and, you know. Like oh, my he, God. I know. Kids stress me out. I do not like. That's one of my biggest stressors about being around a toddler or somebody, mm-hmm. that, you know, a four-year-old. Like, that's when they're really starting to learn, like, okay, she looks this way. He looks that way. He's this way. She's that way. And that's when they'll be like, you're fat. Yeah. And that gives me so much anxiety. Because, I mean, I don't want to have to drop kick a kid. <laughs> but she will. I mean, if I... Could, but I'm so fat I can't drop kids. <laughs> Just kidding. She's come like, at I me, was bro. about to say, I, I swear to God, I was about to be like, Donna's going to be like, come at me, bro. <laughs> Damn, that's funny. I mean, you know what? If I can't kick my foot that high or anything, my flip flop is going to come out and hit you. <laughs> I mean, it's like a boomerang. <laughs> and then it comes right back and just slips on your foot. <laughs> my toes spread. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Anyway. Get on with your story about old Carol, Curvy Carol. But also, can we... I mean, we talk about not victim blaming and victim shaming and all of that. But these writers... And I know this is maybe not, like, current Mm -hmm. stuff. But can we stop with that in the writing? Uh, um, it's, it's, It's so bad. The articles that I read going through some of these stories, I'm just like, the language in it... The number of articles that still say prostitute. Right. Like it, when I watch something like a, like even like an old forensic files, like they, I'm not saying they're going to go back and change the verbiage. Right. That's not what I'm even asking for. But I'm saying like when you hear an older episode and they say it now, it just makes me cringe. Yes. You know, and I'm just like, golly. Mm-hmm. And am I always PC? Absolutely not. No, we're human. And definitely, definitely going to make errors. Mm-hmm. I just feel like we can do better. Mm-hmm. And we isn't everybody. And yeah. so we learned, you know, I learned 
listening to my favorite murder that the terminology is sex worker now, mm-hmm. not, you know, and we're still learning. I mean, heck, you know, the episode where we talked about people working in a strip club and exotic, and I'm like, wait, what, you know, I'm like, what, what can I say there? What is it? Yeah. An exotic dancer, you know, where are they, what do I call it? It's, it's a learning process. And I think that just being open and being part of the dialogue and mm-hmm. all of that is what is making us grow. And I think that, I mean, as much as this is not fair to say, the old dinosaurs are dying off and we're going to be better. Yeah. But on the other hand, they need to bend too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying that it's whatever. I don't know. This is just an icky subject. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that I'm not trying to minimalize those other huge injustices right. that people feel because of who they are. This is just the one that has been in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and pertains to the story. Yeah. So, okay. Stepping off soapbox, going on with the story. Well, the, you broke it because you're overweight. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I shallow held that fucking soapbox. <laughs> What's it made out of? Oh, my God. Please tell me y'all have watched Shallow Hell. We use that as a verb mm-hmm. so much. Oh, my God. that And that is not even PC at all. In, but it is fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Okay. So, when she moved into the new apartment, there was a couple that lived there. Jeanette and John Murray, who went by Jack. So, Jeanette and Jack. <laughs> yeah, J and J. Mm-hmm. So... Jack was the, like, handyman, maintenance man for the apartment complex. And he was not faithful to Jeanette. Well, because he had a key to every door. Woman's apartment and... <laughs> Chastity belt. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Jeanette knew that Jack was a shitty human that cheated on her and had been doing so their whole fucking relationship. Wow. So, okay, here's an example of my bitch fest from earlier. Mm-hmm. So, his type was blondes with long legs. Carol Bundy was definitely not Jack's type. Like, that's a fucking sentence. Yeah. Well, his dick still got fucking hard, so maybe she fucking was. Wow. Okay, sorry. So, Carol would call Jack to come do, like, stupid shit around her apartment all the time. Because he's a maintenance guy, and she's like, oh, he cute. Like, she'd be like, hey, boy, hey. So, my drains are clogged. Can you please come clean out my pipes? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Or lay pipe. I mean, do something with some pipes <laughs> and some lubrication. <laughs> I mean, she watched all the porn. I mean, she knew all of the sci-fi porn. <laughs> she fucking wrote some of it with him, I'm true, sure. True, true. Performed in it, maybe even. Very True. So they became friends with benefits. They, like, they hooked up all the time, Carol and Jack. But here's the thing. Even if Jack was not attractive, he was fucking Australian. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. He was Australian, and he was a country singer. Oh, God. So you know that he just was a crooner Mm -hmm. with the tuners. I like to sing oh, by the bee. <laughs> you remember this? <laughs> so he was Australian 
and he was he was an asshole. He was super arrogant and he was a narcissist. Yeah. And because of his narcissism, like he it's it's said that he could have made it big, but he got in his own way because he was such a fucking narcissist mm. that he would be like, "Oh, I'm too good for that opportunity." Yeah. When he's still just singing in the local bar. Yeah. So, you know, with Carol, she was she listened to him. Mm-hmm. You know, all his stories were new to her. And so he liked to be with her, spend time with her because he's a fucking narcissist and gets to tell all of his shit. Yeah. And she's attention seeking and is like, oh, this handsome guy. So she's eating it the fuck up. Mm-hmm. So I will say, though, one good thing that he did do was that he convinced her to seek a second opinion about her eyes. And they did, like, two little surgeries, and she got new glasses, and she was able to see. Wow. Well, so she basically went from, like, blind to have given her sight back. Yeah. And he even got her to, like, fill out Social Security stuff. And so she got she started getting, like, $600 a month for disability, but was actually able... I don't think she... I don't know if she started driving again. But anyway, you know, he helped her get some yeah. of her life together, which... So that is one really good thing that came... You know, from Well, that. he was probably like, do you like this outfit? And she was like, I can't really see it. And he was like, this will not do? Mm-hmm. You must be able to tell me how awesome and... He's fucking Gaston. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, she, like, started making sure... And, like, I'm talking, like, he'd only been to her house, like, three times. And she's like, oh, I got him to start having his favorite beer in my refrigerator. Gosh. Like, legit, it was that third time of him coming over that they started fucking... Wow. And she, of course, fell in love. Mm-hmm. Because there's always one. Mm-hmm. That falls in love. It almost started, like, it almost became an obsession with him. And so she would follow him around at work. I'm surprised he didn't get her to, like, okay, get underneath the sink and blah, 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 you know? Well, so she would, like, listen out for his van coming up. Like, she, like... Would Like I said, follow him around, all this stuff. He would take her to doctor's appointments. You know, they were together all the time. And they would, like, let's say that he was working and stuff. They would just, like, go stop off in his van and have sex. But but their sex was mostly oral sex, him receiving. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it was all her giving and never receiving any benefits from any of these relationships with men. That's terrible. And, you know, I understand that, that some people get pleasure from mm-hmm. pleasuring someone else. Yeah. But, like, a girl's got to get it some fucking time. Yes. But she thought that this meant that he loved her, blah, 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 blah. So, Jack told Carol, look, you know, I'm going to leave Jeanette for you, but it's going to be a couple of years. <laughs> like, we just, we have to be more discreet. So, like, you can't follow me around anymore. And so, like, she would be waiting by the fucking phone for him to call her and be like, hey, I'm coming over. Or tell her, like, even more so than him actually even putting forth the effort to come to her house, come meet me in my van. Wow. And so, it's like, if the boy can't fucking come into your damn house Mm -hmm. to come into your damn box, then... It ain't fucking worth it. Right. And I'm talking to myself in that sentence. thank you. Because you have to, like, as someone who will let men run all over me, or women, or whatever you're into, 
like love yourself. Yeah. And that takes a lot for me to say because <laughs> I can totally understand her plight, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they're they described me physically, but you and Carol Samesies. Yeah. Also, that is so like typical relationship like that. You're my secret friend. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I'm going to leave her, but I just can't right now. We're She's not in a good place. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Yes. Or you can't meet my friends right now because of blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-mm. Nobody. I got you. I see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. We can smell a fucking rat and you are one. Mm-hmm. So, love yourself. Ladies and gents. For real. Seriously. Like RuPaul says. If you can't love yourself. How the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Amen. You know what class I would attend is a self-love, self-awareness class taught by drag queens. Girl, yes. Like, so serious about that. Ru, make that happen. Please. Invite us. Teach us your ways. (laughs) Okay. So she came into some money from Grant selling the house. And so she ended up getting like a safety deposit box and had herself and Jack on it. What? And because that's where she kept the money too. Mm -hmm. So he could just like, he took thousands from her. Oh my God. She would pay for all this stuff with him for him. She just would give him all this money. You know, she would loan him money. He would never pay it back. She would buy him things. She would buy his alcohol, buy his food, buy his this, buy his that. She just gave and gave and gave and gave. And he didn't reciprocate because he doesn't give a fuck. He's a narcissist. He doesn't give a fuck that he's doing that to you. Exactly. And her doing those things aren't buying his love. No. Even though she feels like it is because he knows how to give her just enough Mm -hmm. of attention Mm -hmm. to be like oh god he called me and he came he came over my house today yep so he could drink his favorite fucking beer and then get his dick sucked and then leave yeah if anything it's making it worse because Mm -hmm. he doesn't even have to work as hard no he doesn't have to do shit he doesn't even have to yeah work even hard at all to keep you on the leash Mm -hmm. so the other thing this was her logic god carol I just want to be like, Carol. So her logic was that by loaning him money, how can he leave me when he owes me money? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Carol, if only the dog, the bounty hunter, was around when you were. (laughs) Okay. So, okay. This is another sentence from one of the articles that I just have to read because I, it pissed me off okay so this is after she's gotten her second eye surgery and she's able to see a little bit better okay and it says being able to see again made her realize that her affair with jack hadn't made her as beautiful and glowing as she had felt she was still fat and ugly what Uh uh-huh wow like you are as beautiful as you feel yes and if she felt glowing even in this shitty fucking relationship she probably was. Mm-hmm. And then it talks about how he, on the other hand, was handsome and charismatic. And a tool bag. And still fucking her. Yes. So, oh I mean, 
She's still, whatever. Okay. Anyway, when she, also when she got that settlement with the house and stuff, because she was really shitty with money. Like, she, you don't say. But she went on, like, this spending spree. She spent $4,000 on clothes and furniture and appliances and a VCR for Jack and a whole, like, a whole new, like, desk and setup oh for his gosh. office and all this shit. And here's the kicker, too. One of the thing, <laughs> one of the things that he, this son of a bitch, told Carol was that y'all, I like haven't even gotten into the fucking story yet. This is just the beginning, and because, and I know I'm spending a long fucking time on this story because this that she goes through at the beginning speaks so much to the end, and I'm gonna be honest, I identify with it, and yeah. so. This is fucking my counseling, okay? <laughs> skip it if you want to. No, I'm don't skip it. Um, if you skip Carol, you skip me. <laughs> so he, this motherfucker, this bitch told Carol that Jeanette, his wife, had a fucking cancer, and that she didn't, and that he could not leave her until her her medical bills were paid. So she fucking oh gave God. him ten grand, which that number, like a couple of things, are like says that might not be the as accurate of a number, but basically he gave her she gave him fucking ten grand to pay off his wife's fake medical bills for fake cancer. Oh so that he would leave his wife for her. They never fucking leave their wives. No. Or husbands. No. So And Carol, you could if you're gonna pay ten thousand dollars for someone, you could you could do better. Mm-hmm. So here's another thing. So a couple of months after that whole debacle, she's like, really wants to spend some time with him. And so she's like, look, I got us a weekend in Vegas. Because, you know, they're in California. They're not that far. Yeah. And, you know, it's my reward to you for you helping me because he got, you know, he helped her get the surgeries and the blah, 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 yeah. the disability, all the things. So they get there. They get to the hotel. They watch a dance show together, like a, you know, what you do in Vegas. Like a showgirls. I think so. And then, like, Jack's mood shifts. And he was like, I want to be left alone. And he goes and gambles, and she fucking stays in the room. With her money. uh Uh-huh. He did not come back until it was time to go, like, to the airport to get on the fucking plane to come home. No. Uh Uh-huh. So... (laughs) Then, he dropped her off so that she had to walk the rest of the way home. Oh. Like, didn't even fucking take her up to the goddamn door. Oh, hell no. So. (laughs) Don't make me fucking walk. So, what's this bitch do? Carol leaves her fucking suitcase in his van because she hoped his wife would find it and, like, get mad and leave him. Mm Mm-hmm. So, coming on up, you hear a knock, knock, knock. It's fucking Jeanette standing at her door giving her her fucking suitcase being like, bitch, please. Mm-hmm. And she, Jan- Jeanette was like, I never fucking had cancer. He's not going to leave me. Stop fucking my husband. And Carol's like, I'll give you $1,500 to leave him. And she was like, mm-mm. She didn't take it. Well, no, because you gave him $10,000. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, you put $10,000, I'd be like, boy, bye, because he cheats all the time anyway. Like, he's defective. Send him back. Mm-hmm. Order me a gold fucking dildo. Mm-hmm. 
You could get a really good fucking dildo for $1,500. Yeah, you can get like a machine that you just lay there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so real. <laughs> I mean, daydreaming here. So really what Jeanette said, though, was, okay, if that's what he wants, that's what I'll do. I don't, he's got the golden fucking dildo is what's happening. He got something. <laughs> he, on the, you know what? His name's Jack and he fucks like a jackrabbit. Look, look, I saw that episode of Sex and City. It will give you a crick in your neck. <laughs> um. Okay. So Carol's like sitting there waiting like, okay, Jack's about to come oh over God, here because he's going to love me, blah, 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 blah. And she's like waiting on him to get there. And then... He comes over, but he says, stay the fuck out of my life. There's no way that I'm leaving Jeanette. Like, we're done. So, club that he usually played music at was called Little Nashville Club. And so she would, even before, would go there all the time, like, fangirl over him and blah, 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 blah. So, she goes there. I hope when she kills him, because I know she's going to kill him. But I hope when she does, and she's gonna be like, "It's not over till I say it's over." Bam, 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 bam. Like shoot him in his dick and everything. Else. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> well, this podcast just took a turn. <laughs> and then be like, "And now it's over." Bam. Mm-hmm. I mean, not saying that you should murder people, but if if she was gonna do it, I, that's how I would. That's write how you write for the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So she gets all fucking dolled up because. She's going to go see Jack at the Little Nashville Club, and she's going to be she's gonna win him back. She's going to get all dolled up. She's going to win him back. Because in her mind, he truly loves her. Yeah. Well, she's, God bless her. She's, like, well over, like, way overdressed for this. And when she's there, though, she sees this other dude, like, smiling at her. He's kind of handsome. And she's like, oh, well, he's overdressed, too. We're the only two ever-dressed people here. Must be a sign that we're oh my supposed God, to be together. Oh, my God. This is so fucking you. <laughs> okay. So, he's a gentleman. Like, they meet. They dance. They talk. He does not try to have sex with her that night. And so, she's like, oh, my God. This guy is fucking amazing. Well, his name, Doug Clark. And so, she's like, oh, my God. I cannot wait to see him again. Are you ready for the next quote I get to read you? Oh, gosh. By the time he had met Carol, he had developed quite a talent for insinuating himself into the lives of fat, unattracted women who would willingly give him free rent, food, money, in return for attention. This is that Doug character? Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. Well, and it's like, okay, here's the thing. Again, I get that it... You you have to paint a picture of who she is and stuff. However, you could just say insecure women. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. And it's in, they're insecure because of society, because of people like you, sir, who are who's writing this article. How do you know it was a sir? Because the man always gets you down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know if it's a man or a woman. I... <sighs> So, just a couple of days after they saw each other at the club, Little Nashville, he calls her up, and she, of course, is fucking giddy, because she's like, oh, my God, he called me, like, new man, like, I'm so excited, like, he was, again, this, I mean, it it was the, this was not Carol being Carol, this Mm -hmm. was the excitement of the potential of a new relationship, Yeah, and anybody would be this way. Oh, for sure. So, when he calls her, he's like, 
what you got going on? And she's like, well, I'm going to go out with my, my boys. We're going to go to dinner, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, basically was like, oh, I'm coming. I'll come. And she's like, doesn't normally let men meet her kids, but he was pretty insistent. And she's, you know, bends to men's what they want. And so she's like, okay, come on. Already bad. Mm -hmm. Already. Already. So after they go to dinner with the kids, like, I don't know. Everything just progressed very quickly. Like, the kids were, like, playing with him and, like, cuddling up to him and, like, already very attached. So there's some, there's some, I feel like, odd dynamics with the kids that they would attach themselves that quickly Mm -hmm. to someone well, because they aren't getting the attention that they need from Carol, I'm sure, because all of her energy is spent on Jack. Jack. So now there's a guy that is, like, coming around and not just in the bedroom, you know, so yeah. far. It's like, oh, my God, gimme, 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 gimme. Yeah. Well, okay, so this is, like, literally their second time seeing each other. First time was with Bar. So... He ends up, like, tucking the kids in bed and being, like, like, when he's tucking the kids in bed, tells the kids he's spending the night. <gasps> uh-huh. And she's all caught up in it with him playing house. Mm-hmm. And when he's being, it's being so manipulative, uh-huh. but she's caught up in it, like, oh, my God, look at him with my kids and da-da-da-da-da. So, of course, he can stay the night. Mm-hmm. So, he stays the night. They have sex. And... He did it. He did exactly what he knew that she wanted and mm-hmm. needed. It was very passionate. It was very sensual. Yes. You know, all of her needs were met, making sure that she was genuinely having, you know, enjoying herself and all the things. Mm-hmm. And he would, you know, whisper in her ear how great she was and intelligent she was and beautiful and yada, 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 he blah, blah, blah. You is smart. That is important. <laughs> so the next morning, she wakes up and she's like, you know, glowing. Like, she's just like, this was the best night of my life. Like, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. And she wakes up and he's like looking at her with this lost expression, they say. And so she's like, like, what's wrong? And he tells her that he's, quote, having problems with his landlady. Oh, my God. And wanted to know, could he move some shit in her apartment? Wow. Which, of course, she's like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. And then, <laughs> oh my God, like, this, this is how I picture it. He goes to leave and he's like, looks back, but like, but wait, there's one more thing. Mm-hmm. I can't ask it. Yes. And she's like, yes, you can. And he was like, can I have a pair of your underwear? What? <laughs> what? And then <laughs> I think that that was Carol's reaction. But then he's like, look, it'll help me remember you, you know, while I'm like getting my shit to move in. And, <laughs> you know, it needs to be dirty underwear, I think. But so because he made it sound romantic, she's like, oh, OK, here's a pair of my underwear. Well, she brought him her fucking granny panties. Oh, my God. And he goes, a fuck no, and gives them back to her. <laughs> and so she's like heartbroken because these are all that fit me right now. Yes. <laughs> she's like heartbroken because 
she gives him her panties and he's like fucking holds them up like shallow how like <laughs> yeah how'd you do that kind of thing you yes. know like it, like this article of course this article one is the one that has been saying all the mean shit about her size but mm-hmm. like it talked about that they were her big cotton underpants but okay well sh- cotton lets you breathe okay i mean <laughs> the shit that goes on in this story okay <laughs> So, she gets over her rejection quickly, though, because she's like, I hope he comes back soon. And, of course, he does. But that does not stop her from still hooking up with Jack. Oh, my God. She would send him love letters saying that she would wait for him and that deep down he really loved her. And just all this shit. Check yes or no. So, she ends up... I don't know why, but she decides to leave that apartment complex where they live beside Jack and move to another apartment three miles away. It might have been bigger for all of his stuff to fit. Well, but here's the thing. Jack and Jeanette help her fucking move her furniture into her new house. What? And they're like, he says, I promise I'll call you later. Of course he doesn't, but he would still sometimes three times a week stop by. So that she would suck his dick. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she would give him money, blah, 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 blah. Well, Doug and Jack fucking hated each other. Of course. Because they are both these master manipulators. Yes. Like, it's like the the battle of battle royale. Like, yes. I mean, this is like the two master manipulators mm-hmm. fighting for this girl and her money. Uh-huh. And so they hated each other. Which, of course... Carol's like, oh, my God, they both love me so much. Yes. Oh, and they're, Carol. They don't. No. Okay. So, you know how we talked about earlier, Carol's really good about being the victim, though, when she wants to be. Mm-hmm. And so, she, of course, pours her heart out to Doug to be like, this is how my previous partners have abused me and blah, 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 blah. And this is all the things that Jack has done. This is the things I've given him money for. Doug's like, um, okay, first things first, close that fucking account that you share with him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay. And then, oops, I forgot to close it. And so he's like, that's fucking ridiculous. Like, and so he's pissed because he wants her money. Yeah. And she thinks he's pissed because he, wants he loves her. her. Yeah. yeah. And he's trying to protect her, which is not the fucking case. Meanwhile, he's not paying for rent, food, anything, any utilities, not fucking shit. So, well, her her social security or disability couldn't be that much, right? Well, right around this point, though, she started working again mm. as a nurse, um, as a vocational nurse. So okay. she was making some money. Okay. All right. So around this time, Doug reads an article that talks about, like, true love ex- being shown by expressing your fantasies so he takes it to carol and is like what you what's some of your fantasies and so she tells him some of hers and then he drops his bombs which you know are fucking coming Mm -hmm. about some of his fantasies and she takes it as like okay he's he's pouring his heart and soul out to me like he brings her this article like this is how we show true love Mm -hmm. meanwhile he's grooming her yeah so one of his fantasies was he captures a girl, a young girl. Oh, fuck. And keeps her as a sex slave. No. And 
Carol, as part of the fantasy, wanted to be the one to capture the girl. Oh, God. Like, he wanted Carol to do it? No, she wanted to be, like, to be part of his fantasy in that way. Oh. I know that there's some grooming happening. Oh, yeah. Building up to this. Like, it's not just, like, one day, pillow talk, talk about fantasies. Next day, let's capture a girl. Yeah. You know, but we're jumping ahead. I mean, Jesus, God, I've been talking forever. So, around, like, the the... This time, too, they start talk, They start doing, like, bonded, like, you know, B- BDSM type shit. Yeah. And where he really is starting to test her sexual limits to see what he can get away with. Mm-hmm. And so what he started doing was he started including murder along with their sexual fantasies so that, in her head, she ties murder to, to sex and it makes her more willing. Yeah. Because now she wants to please him, and then mm-hmm. this is what he, he wants, and this is fantasy, and the, yes. So he was one that he would be there for a few days, leave for a few days, he would come and go, kind of thing. God only knows where the fuck he was going. Of course, as he's telling her, her fan- his fantasies, he's like getting more and more dark, mm-hmm. and then you know gauging her reaction. So again, he can keep grooming. Hello, why am I explaining grooming to y'all? So. You know how I told you he comes and goes, and, and he could be gone for like a week. He could be mm-hmm. gone for a day. Well, one time while he's gone, Carol answered a an ad in the personals column. Oh, gosh. For a guy named Art Pollinger. He was an executive at like a stereo company. And he Radio made... Shack? Probably. He made like a hundred grand a year. Oh, fuck. So, again, too, this is whatever year. Like, the you know, late 70s, early 80s. That's mm-hmm. a fuck ton of money. So... He says in his ad, he's looking for a decent, marriageable woman. And here's another one of those fucking things where they say, he's not handsome like Doug and Jack. Oh, my God. He's 400 pounds. Oh, my God. So, hey, you know what? At least it's, you know, equal opportunity fat shaming. Mm Mm-hmm. True. Well, we're going to look for the silver lining. Well, when they met, he treated her great. He was like, you're smart, you're all these things, like, I would love to marry you. She told him all about the sexual abuse that she had gone through with all the people. And he, she told him about the safety deposit box that she had with Jack. Hi, she just tells everything. Because, she, because part of it is her ruse. Ruse. Mm-hmm. Whatever that word is. Yeah. You know, because she wants him to feel sorry for her mm-hmm. and because she's good at playing the victim. Yeah. I mean, she knows how to work it. Mm-hmm. So, like, the next day, Art takes her to the bank and is like, you're closing this. And when they get there, he she's missing $6,000. <gasps> and she's, like, she's totally brokenhearted because Jack fucking, like, there are signatures showing that he went in there twice without her. He took the money, you know? Yeah. And, you know, she and Art had a good relationship. He treated her right, all the things. But she wanted the craziness. You know, she wanted Mm -hmm. the the thrill of the chase. Mm -hmm. And so she left him to go back to Doug and Jack. Wow. She ended up getting her driver's license back in 73. I forgot about that earlier when I was like, oh, yeah, she don't know if she started driving again. She did. Duh. (laughs) I forgot this whole part. So, she could get her driver's license back because she could see, but her peripheral vision was not that good. So, she didn't, she bought a new car, but she didn't want to get a big one because she's like, look, my my vision's still not great. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens is Doug basically makes her 
get this Buick station wagon that's too fucking big for her to drive. But she buys it anyway because... He wants to carry a body soon. (laughs) Yeah. So she goes to drive it. And one time when she's trying to park it, a buck knife falls from, like, her sun visor. Oh, shit. And she's like, the fuck is this? And Doug's like, oh, that's my protection against strangers. (laughs) You know, and... You should really be protected against strangers, too. You you should go buy a gun. So he takes her. They buy two guns. Both of them registered to Carol because Doug's like, so I did time for robbery once, so oh I can't get God. this gun. And she's like, okay. You know, like, to her, it makes him more like bad boy. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay. So she gets the two guns. And, you know, there's a lot going on with the kids where she ends up starting to abuse the, her kids, too. No. Um, because they're being like look he's a shitty person you know all this like about doug like he's taking advantage of you all this stuff wow carol wow and you know the harder she worked because you know at this point it was just ugly like with the kids and everything you know the the worse he treated her the more the harder she would work at pleasing him yeah doug would tell her that he didn't want to have sex with her anymore because she was unattractive but she still wouldn't end it and she would still pay for his shit and here's the thing then what she would do was she would go with him while he picks up sex workers and she would sit in the back seats as the sex worker would try to give him oral sex but he usually couldn't get it up oh my god so that would make her feel better because she's like well i'm the only one that can make him get it up kind of thing Mm mm-hmm you know, all those times, though, that he was going off, he was seeing other women, obviously. Mm-hmm. But he always kept coming back to Carol because Carol would indulge his fantasies. Yeah. And so... And pay for everything. Exactly. So, when Doug was a kid, and this carried on into his adulthood, he liked to wear women's underwear. Non-granny No, he, he is very particular about the type. It cannot be granny panties. It has to be silky, sexy shit. according to him so carol knew that doug fantasized about murder but one day in april of 1980 he came home and he had blood all over him like on his jacket in his teeth and on his hands and she like takes him to the bathroom she like tells her kids like go back to bed because he like comes in i'm sure like in a stumbly mess yeah and the next morning she tells the kids that he had been in a motorcycle accident but she had to like clean the blood off of his knife yada yada yada. oh my god carol ended up though eventually sending the kids like signing custody over to their dad and sending them back to live with their dad so at least she did that so then but wasn't he abusive too i don't remember but so is carol and doug so true i mean at least their dad doesn't have a murderous true, true, fantasy. True. true, 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 true. Also in April, Charlene, she she's a sex worker, 22 years old at the time, and she's in the, a parking lot on Sunset Boulevard when a guy in a blue station wagon pulls in. She goes to see, like, okay, you want sex? Like, how much? You know. But when she walks up, she notices he's masturbating, so she's like, fuck this. I'm walking away. He calls her back and he's like, they agreed that she would give him oral sex for $40. So they drove away. And when they stopped, she was like, I'm not getting in the back seat with you. 
And she knew his name was like Ron or Don. She knew he had blonde hair, blue eyes, mustache. But when she like went to give him the oral sex, she noticed that he had a knife to the back of her neck. So she is like starting to struggle to get away. He stabbed her a few times. Like they got basically there was a scuffle. She -hmm. got away. Thank God. And so after she escaped, she was she later identified it was Doug Clark who attacked her. Wow. So on June eleventh, nineteen eighty, two teenage girls, they were half sisters, Cynthia Chandler and Gina Morano. Which I do want to say, two articles I found said Gina Norano, but everything else said Morano, so I think it's with an M. Okay. So, the girls were, I don't want to say a bit of troublemakers, but they had a habit of running away. And they had gone missing. Their parents couldn't find them. You know, just been a difficult time blending the families, yada, yada, yada. And Cindy was 15 and Gina was 16. And again, not the first time they had run away well that same night carol came home and from work and she saw a note from doug saying like hey i dropped by i'll talk to you later and so carol's like decides to like go see him because she's like okay so she makes an excuse of why she needs the buick that night because you know she buys the car and he takes mm-hmm. it everywhere mm-hmm. so she goes to his current girlfriend's apartment <gasps> to swap cars with him to be like hey i need it and so she unlocks the car because, you know, they both have a set of keys. And on the back seat, she found a duffel bag that was full of dirty clothes. And when she looked inside, she was like, oh, shit, there's a lot. these clothes are bloody. There's a blanket, some paper towels. And so she took, her, took the bag with her and went home. On the way home, she decided to stop at the laundromat and wash the clothes. There was a oh green, my God. There was a green tube top and a maroon striped dress. And the blanket had so much blood on it that she just threw it away and then threw the paper towels away, too. So, a couple of days later, when she finally met up with Doug, he told her what happened. He said that he was going down the Sunset Strip when he saw Cindy and Gina sitting at a bus stop. He, like, stopped, rolled down the window, was talking to him. He talked Cid- Cindy into getting in with him. But Cindy was like, Cindy was like, I'm not getting in alone. Like, Gina, you got to come, too. So, after they both get in, he stops the car in a parking lot that was empty and forced Cindy to perform oral sex on him. He told Gina, like, look away. Then he grabbed the gun that he had hidden between the sheets, shot Gina, and then when Cindy sat up, he shot her in the head. But here's the thing. Neither one of them died from that. And so, he shot them both again, Gina in the head and Cindy in the heart. So, then he just pushed him down on the floorboard, drove to this garage in Burbank that he rented, and parked his car there. When nobody was around, he used the blankets to drag the bodies inside. And so, he got blood all over his work boots and stuff. When he's dragging them into the garage, all of a sudden, Gina lifts her arm. Oh and God. Doug was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to shoot her again. But then she died. God bless it. Um. So, when he gets them in the garage, he puts them both on this old mattress that's on the floor. And... Don't tell me he becomes the toy box killer. Well, kind of. He does a lot of necrophilia. Makes the girls' bodies do things to each other. Oh, my God. Uses their bodies for him to do things. All that shit. Just get mannequins. 
then he does some running around we don't care about and then wraps the bodies in the blankets and puts them in the back of the car then he goes and dumps them down an embankment on the forest lawn on ramp ventura freeway california places people know so a few days later carol actually calls the police department and she said that her name was betsy and that she thought that her boyfriend murdered the two girls and she told them what clothes that she had washed but they said that they didn't match what the girls had been wearing and so she asked if one of them had been shot twice in the head but they wouldn't tell her any details and so they didn't take her seriously and so she's not going to give them any more details because she's just trying to find out enough to see if doug was really lying to her yeah well they tried to like transfer her somewhere and she got lost in the switchboard so they thought she just hung up well so she's like well they hung up and they think she hung up and big fucking miscommunication so then doug came home that night and told carol watch the news tonight and one of the stories was about a guy named vic weiss and his body had been found in a trunk of a rolls royce that was parked at the sheraton universal hotel and he said that he killed that guy as like an initiation into the mafia oh my god so a couple of days after that doug's like hey let's go for a ride and carol thought like oh shit maybe he's taking me on this ride to kill me on their drive they had stopped at this like ravine and he told carol like hey i dumped a body there oh my god it was and he said that it was a young blonde sex worker that he had shot and he said that when that girl saw his gun, she screamed and kicked the gear shift, which broke it. And he stripped her, kept her underwear for himself, and gave the rest of her clothes to a kid who lived in their apartment complex. Holy fuck. Doug, you shouldn't have. You really shouldn't have. Yeah. That girl's body, though, was later identified as Marnette Comer. And she was 17 years old. She had run away from Sacramento. And she had been working as a sex worker on the Sunset Strip. Wow. So now Carol's into it. She's like really enjoying these conversations of murder. Like he took her to the place. She's part of it now. Like she wasn't there for any of it. But she knows it all. And he's, you know, she's, she's enthralled in it. And so on June 20th, 1980, they went for their first joint killing. So they were at Hughes Market on Highland Avenue in Hollywood. And there was a blonde woman. She was wearing cowboy boots, a maroon dress, a bolero jacket with red hearts on it. And Doug called out to her. And at first she was like, what the fuck ever? And then took a minute, but she finally agreed to get in the car. She said her name was Kathy. She looked to be about 17. Oh, no. Carol was in the backseat with her gun and her purse so their plan was that if carol was going to do the kill she would say boy am i having a blast oh my god pineapple pin Uh uh-huh and if she didn't doug would be able to get the oral sex he wanted Mm -hmm. so kathy and doug just you know agreed on a price 30 bucks but doug couldn't get it up Mm. and so he basically told Carol, like, shook his head at her, told her, like, don't kill her. He didn't want Carol to shoot her because he wanted to be the one doing it. Well, he couldn't get his gun because Kathy was 
blocking it, trying to give him oral sex. Mm -hmm. And so he, like, reached back for Carol to give him her gun. Well, when she did, she handed it to him bass backwards. Like, she didn't hand it, Uh you know, handed it, like, pointed it to him. And so, noticing that something's, like, going on, Kathy tried to sit up to be like, what the fuck are y'all doing? Mm -hmm. And Doug shot her. But she didn't die at first. And so, Doug just assumed that Carol was going to, like, freaking panic and lose her shit. And so, he's like, be cool. But Carol wasn't. She was calm, watching, involved, interested, all this stuff. So, Doug told Carol, get in the front seat so that she could, like, start cleaning the mess up. They drove onto the freeway and turned off on to this road and dumped the body. Here's the thing, though, too. They dumped this body, and they didn't even know if she was actually dead or not. Oh, my gosh. Well, was she? Yes. Like, well, I don't know if she... Well, I don't know. I don't know if she was really dead right then or if she died after they threw her. I don't know. Okay. But, yes, she did die. So, one time he went to pick up a sex worker, and there were three standing together, but he couldn't convince any of them to get in the car by himself, by themselves, and so he drove off. Well, he came back later, and one of them was by herself and her name was Exy Wilson and she was a sex worker. She's from Little Rock, Arkansas and she had just moved to the area with her boyfriend who was also her pimp. She'd only been there a week. Oh no. And so she got in the car with him. They went to this empty parking lot and when she's giving him oral sex, he shoots her in the back of the head. Well, as she goes to die, she bites him (gasps) and he is pissed. And so he knows, like, nobody's around. So he drags her out of the car, strips her, takes a... She had a green ring on her right ring finger, takes her her ring, then takes a knife from his kill bag that Carol had put together. Oh, my God. And decapitated her. (gasps) Fuck. He left the body in the, like, parking lot where he had decapitated her Mm -hmm. and put the bag, put the head in a plastic bag and... Took it in the back of the car, took it home with him. Oh, my God. So, before, though, he got home, he was like, wait, fuck. Her friends probably are going to remember me. Because he had tried to pick them up, Mm -hmm. and they tried to get him alone. So, he was like, son of a bitch. So, he went back to see, like, if the other friends were there. One of the other girls was there waiting for a friend. So, she got into the car with Doug. Had no idea that her ex's head was in the back. Oh, my God. And so he pulls, you know, he stops the car, pulls the gun out. But so she screams and some dogs in the neighborhood of like where they were stopped started barking. And so he's like, oh, fuck, like I can't waste any time. So he shoots her in the left temple, kills her instantly. So he takes her earrings and her cash, just pushes her out from the car. So, he goes home. He calls Carol because they had, like, moved apartments, but she was still at the old one before while they were moving to the new one. It doesn't matter. Details. And it was... So, by the time he had gotten home and called Carol to come over, police had already identified the body of the sex worker. Her name was Karen Jones. And she had just moved from Little Rock with Exy and had a son, a little boy. And so, she started sex work to support her son. Oh my gosh. And so then he goes, okay, there's still the one girl though that I didn't get. So he goes to see if he could find her, but he couldn't. Thank God for that. So when Carol comes back or gets there, they of course 
talk all about it. Mm -hmm. And she thinks, like, they're way more in love now than they've ever been. Oh, God. So, okay. Listen how shitty Doug is. I mean, not that all the other shit isn't shitty, but this is really shitty. He called someone who had known Cindy and Gina and said that he was a police officer and used his own fucking name. Oh, my God. And so... With all of that, they just they decided that it was too risky to keep the Buick because it had been involved in all these murders, and so they sold it to one of their friends. Oh, my gosh. So then, what does one do with the head that they have in the fucking freezer? They get it out to play with it. Ed fucking Kipper style. Oh, my God. Carol bought, like, a treasure chest-looking thing, and it was, like, wood, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Well, that's what they put the head in and then dumped it. But before they dumped it, Carol put it with, put makeup on it. You know, thought she really did a good job. Of course, Doug was like, this looks fucking terrible. You're oh stupid. Oh, my God. And then they're like, well, you could be leaving fingerprints and all this makeup. So she made he made Carol wash it all off again. And that's when then they put it the head in the chest and dumped it. So, just their murderous plots are like a fucking ridiculousness of errors. And Mm -hmm. it causes tension. And so, it's like they, you know, they go from having this, what she thinks is this, like, amazing bond to her, him telling her that she's a stupid piece of shit, basically. And so, the only time that they were, like, bonding was when she would help him live out his fantasy of having a young girl. Mm -hmm. And so, they had an 11-year-old girl (gasps) that she would bring over as much as possible. It was one of their neighbors in the apartment complex. No. So, when Carol was at work, Doug would take that 11-year-old out with him to pick up sex workers. And so, Carol, at first, wasn't really into it, but he was like, well, you're jealous. And so, that's when she was like, "Uh, I'm not jealous. I'm into it. You know, to try to please him. One thing said, though, that the 11-year-old girl was, like, knew that how infatuated Doug was with her. And so, she would actually, like, use that to her advantage to get money and gifts Mm -hmm. from him. So, it's like... This young girl is starting out just how fucking Carol did. Yep. But Doug and Carol keep going out cruising to find sex workers, but it had become known as the Sunset Strip Murders because all these sex workers in the area were dying, you know? Yeah. And so they had started becoming way more careful and, like, wouldn't go out alone and all this stuff. And so they started really having a hard time finding victims. Boo freaking who? Well, Carol is, again... You know how we talked about she likes to play the victim. She's because their relationship's falling apart. So what does she do? She calls her first, one of her first husbands, Dick Geis. Richard, I think is mm-hmm. what he went by. But anyway, or Richard was his name. He went by Dick. Anyway, and she tells him all about Doug and the killings. And oh he's like, God. you need to leave him. And he's like, but she's like, but no, I can't because of blah, 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 blah. Well, then when they hang up, she calls him back and she's like, okay, none of that was really true. She said, I'm, I'm writing a story, so I was just testing to see how believable it was. Oh, my God. And so she had a, I, I hate to say this this way, but like a quasi-suicide attempt, mm. thinking that Doug would come rescue her. He didn't. So when Doug didn't come back or like didn't like, oh, God, you tried to kill yourself, she was not happy. And so... She called Jack Murray to come take her home. Oh, fuck. Old Jack, he's back. 
<laughs> well, the next day, Carol goes and picks up the 11-year-old girl, dropped her at the apartment while she goes to see Jack. Well, while she's gone to see Jack, Doug takes the 11-year-old out to cruise for sex workers. Oh, my gosh. They picked up this young woman who was wearing, like, a black and lavender outfit. They stop. Doug pays her for oral sex. The 11-year-old's in the back seat watching. Then, after that's done, Doug takes the 11-year-old back to the apartment with the sex worker still in the car. And then has her give him oral sex again. While she's doing that, he shoots her in the back of the head, of course. And then before he dumps her body, he had sex with her dead body, like, on the car. Oh, my God. So, when Carol met Jack to, like, ask, like, while all that's, you know, happening, she asked Jack to, like, have sex with her. And he's like, I'm not going to do it unless you bring another woman. Oh, my God. So, she's like, fuck, who can I bring? She's like, hmm, I don't know anybody. I guess I'll go get the (gasps) 11-year-old. No. So, she takes the 11-year-old back with her. To the back of Jack's van. This poor girl. Let's him fondle her. Oh, my God. But wouldn't allow him to have sex with her because that was only for Doug. And then she, this is how fucked up this is. Carol is, like, appalled that Jack wants to have sex with this girl because she's a child. But she's like, with Doug, it was sweet and wholesome. What? The what? girl, the girl wanted it with Doug, but with Jack, she's like, "That's disgusting." Um, it's all fucking disgusting. Oh it's God. a goddamn right? child. It's yes. all disgusting, including you. So, two days later, she goes to the little Nashville place, and she sees Jack like boozing it up with some other girl. But she's like, "Hey, come outside with me, you know, like let's hang out." And so they go back to his van. He, she shows him the kill bag. She tells him everything about all the killings. Oh, fuck. And she's like, I, you know, I want your advice. So he's like, okay, I'll meet up again with you when the club closes. Because, you know, he's like playing his music and stuff. Mm-hmm. But before he walks away, she like slips him a note asking him to fuck her. Oh, my God. And she said that he could have sex with the 11-year-old. Wow. Wow. So when he gets back into the bar... His friends noticed, like, he's real quiet. He looks kind of scared. He told them what Carol showed him. And they were like, bro, you need to go tell the cops. Right. And he's like, no, I don't. No, first I want to have sex with this underage kid. Yes. So he apparently had been with this girl, and she left him at about 2.30 in the morning. And then when she left, she saw Carol get into his van, like, as she's driving off. So, when Carol gets there, though, she kind of already decided that Jack's, like, Jack knows too much. And Doug told her that, like, you're not going to kill him. You're too fucking stupid to pull this off. Like, you can't pull this off by yourself. And so, she's like, I'm going to fucking pull him wrong. Pull him wrong. (laughs) Prove him wrong. (laughs) So, Jack gets in the back of the van, immediately undresses, you know, pulls his pants down. So, Carol starts doing what she always fucking does for Jack, giving him oral sex. And while she's doing it, he's telling her how he wants to have sex with this young girl. So, she's like, that's fucking it. That's the, like, last straw. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, she told him to get on his stomach. And she pulled a gun out and shot him in the back of the head. When... Damn. I know. So, she goes to, like, feel to see if he has a pulse. And he still does because he's still breathing. So... She shot him again. 
And then that's when she just, like, got her power back almost, Mm -hmm. you know? And she was like, oh, my God, like, I really just did this. And so she got her knife and stabbed him six times in the back. And then she was like, fuck, the cops are going to be able to, like, identify the bullet that I shot in his head. And so she cut his fucking head off. Fuck, these people are savage. Put his head in a plastic bag and took it fucking home with her. On the way home, she called Doug, tell him what happened. You know what that just reminded me of? Is that I'm picking up a baby bumblebee. <laughs> well, my mommy be surrounding me. You know, like, yes. Oh. Okay. So when she gets to the apartment where Doug is with his fucking girlfriend, these, this is the most convoluted yes. fucking shit. Oh, my God. So anyway, Doug said that the girlfriend had a seizure. But Carol thinks that the girlfriend actually heard what she was saying over the phone Mm -hmm. and that he did something to her. Mm -hmm. But so the next day, that girl like is like deuces and goes back to Illinois. So now the relationship between Doug and Carol is even more strained because now they're Doug's starting to panic because she killed somebody they know. Mm -hmm. And so he's like. You're stupid. Why did you kill Jack? Like, you can't kill somebody we know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, you may have cut his head off and gotten rid of the bullets, but you left the fucking casings in the van. And so they, this is, this is how, I mean, like, I don't know how their relationship could get any more fucked up, but with all the, like, tension from killing Jack, because she thought that was going to bring them closer together, Doug still didn't want to have sex with her. And so... She decided to introduce Doug to one of Jack's girlfriends in hopes that they could have a three a threesome. Oh my god! I said a three way, like it's a fucking phone call. <laughs> um, but instead, Doug and the girlfriend went to the bed, and she had to sleep on the fucking floor in Doug's room. No, and so she's like, "All this stuff I've done for him, and like, why didn't he want me? You know?" Yeah. About six days after Jack's murder, though, they go to, Carol and Doug, go to the Little Nashville Club, and they see Jeanette there, Jack's wife, because she's, like, hoping that she'll find Jack there because nobody knows where he is. Nobody knows that he's dead. Well, around that time, though, because it's just like a block down the road, a form, a crowd's starting to kind of form around this abandoned van because they're like, oh, my God, it smells like a fucking dead body. And when the police... When the police, like, opened the van and saw him, he he was va- badly decomposed. The heat, bloating, all the things. He had, of course, the stab wounds on his back. His buttocks had been sliced, <gasps> and there were cuts around his rectum. Oh, fuck. They found the shell casings just, you know, duh. But, of course, there were no bullet holes in the body because they were all in the head. So, they were like, well, I don't know. Well... So word got out, you know, back right back down to Little Nashville. Like people were starting to go because they heard about the body, you know, all of that. They took Jeanette to the police station. They interviewed her until four in the morning. Mm. This was happening at like ten p.m. So a long time. That she was one of the prime suspects. So they wouldn't tell her anything about how Jack died. Well, that next afternoon, Carol's showering in her bathroom, while Doug and his new girlfriend that she introduced him to are showering in his bathroom. Oh my! The doorbell. Uh huh. The doorbell rings. So she goes and opens it. Two detectives. And so she's like, "Oh fuck, what do I do?" So she's like, "Hold on, let me go get like some clothes on." And so she tells Doug, "Like, holy shit, detectives are here." They take her down for. 
questioning. So in order to try to control the situation, Doug goes with her. And so they had already worked out their alibi for when Jack was killed. And so they were going to tell police that they were home together, you know, having sex. Mm -hmm. But Carol changed the story and told him that she had seen Jack a little bit the day before. She also went into her normal play the victim and told them all about how Jack had treated her, stole her money. She also told them she had the guns, but she said that she sold them. Of course, the detectives aren't fucking stupid, so they're like, okay, something's up with this story. Yeah. Eventually, a couple of days after she'd been interviewed by the police, she finally, like, broke down. She could not take it anymore. She was at work. She told her coworkers everything. She killed Jack, and they immediately called the police, and she gave full confession to everything. Yeah. I feel like she did that Jim Carrey from Liar Liar meme. It was me. Right. So when she's confessing, she goes into all the fucking graphic details about Jack and Doug's fantasies and the, quote, games with a fucking 11-year-old. Oh. She confessed, like, she really enjoyed the killings. Damn, she is. She's just laying it all out there. She, this is, she, this is how attention-seeking she is. She hits on the fucking detective that's interviewing her, and she's like, so, um... I'm very sexually aroused by you. Oh, um, my God. Do you feel the same? Uh-huh. Wow. Uh-huh. So they brought Doug in. They interviewed him. By the end of the interview, he had told a lot, too. They searched the apartment. They found handcuffs, 29 rounds of ammunition, all lots of stained clothing and carpet fibers, Ew. four pairs of Doug's boots, Remember, all his boots always had blood on them, mm-hmm. shotguns, lots of porn, bondage, mag- all kinds of stuff. I mean, no no fetish shaming. Right. They had clippings about the murder of Exie Wilson. Okay, so Carol was charged with two murders, and uh, Jack Murray, and then they an, this unknown victim that we'll post a picture of. So this victim was found August 26th of 1980. And she was shot in the head, and she was found only wearing a red sweater. They reconstructed her face to see if they could, like, because it was just skeletonized remains. And so they're still trying to figure out who she is. Oh, bless it. But but she she did confess to killing that unknown girl. We just still don't know who she is. So anyway, Doug was charged with six murders. This dumbass acted as his own attorney. Oh, my God. Arrogant. Mm -hmm. He was sentenced to death, and he's still on death row. She made a plea bargain, of course, for her testimony, and she was sentenced to 52 years to life. And then she died in prison in 2003 from heart failure. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So that is the fucked up case of Doug Clark and Carol Bundy. Whoa. Mm Mm-hmm. I, it's so big, so long. Thank y'all for sticking that out. But, I mean, such a big and long case. Thank y'all for sticking that out. But I just felt like that beginning stuff with mm-hmm. knowing her state of mind and all of those, all of that, I think was super important. Yeah. And I think that we can, we learn, we can learn a lot. It. I think it's important to me, self-reflective mm-hmm. and to see. To know what you see of yourself in Carol, because I do see some of my tendencies in relationships in her. 
You know, Mm -hmm. obviously, I'm not going to fucking kill someone for it. Right. But I can see why she does. She makes some of the decisions that she makes. Yeah. So that's that. You ready for yours? I can't follow that up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Alyssa reached out to us on Twitter and she was like, hey, can you do something in Philadelphia? Mm -hmm. And I was like, got you, boo. We sure can. (laughs) So picture it. 1787, the members of, long ass name coming, the Philadelphia Society for Alleviating the Miseries of Public Prisons. <gasps> no, like what kind of fucking name is that? I don't know. They met at Benjamin Franklin's house. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. See, that's what happens when you go up in New England like that. That's some OG shit up there. You know what? I think he had an idea. It was like a light bulb just went off. <laughs> so they all met to discuss an alternative solution to the overcrowding situation going on in prisons. So Benjamin Rush, he was a prominent doctor, very she-she. He was like, all right, we need a house of repentance. And that would eventually become Eastern State Penitentiary. Get it? Like repentance penitentiary. Mm -hmm. It's located at 2027 Fairmont Avenue, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It was designed by a British architect named John Haviland, and he he was inspired by prisons and asylums built in England and Ireland, and he really wanted the prison to have a neo-Gothic look, so it would, he thought, scare people from mm-hmm. being bad. So it's like, I don't want to go there, so let me be good. Yeah, because clearly that worked. Yeah. So, it opened its doors and then shut them behind the prisoners. (laughs) So, it opened October 25th, 1829, and it is considered to be the first true penitentiary. It cost $780,000, which is like $16 million (laughs) in today's dollars. It is believed to be the, like, second only to the White House. In cost. Shit. I'm not going into all of these different, like, this kind of system versus this kind of system. What it all boils down to is picture, like, Sing Sing. hmm That's how the prisons were, where they all lived together, but, like, they weren't supposed to talk and stuff, but they would work together. They would do whatever mm-hmm. together. Well, this is, no, they need time to repent. And if they are alone with their thoughts and they cannot talk to anyone, they'll understand, like, the nastiness of their crime and all of that. Yeah. So, it was not designed to punish, they say, but to, again, have spiritual reflection and change. Meanwhile, you spend some fucking time by yourself and see how long you last. Exactly. Okay, the floor plan is completely different than how how it was before this, like, revolutionary thing. It is the hub-and-spoke model. So, it was seven single-story cell blocks, and it all extended from a central circular point. I mean, hub-and-spoke. Mm-hmm. So, it was... To give the guards a clear line everywhere Mm -hmm. that they were. 
They would have, you know, mirrors up and all of that. Like in hospitals where you can kind of see coming around the bend and Mm. shit. That. However, the prisoners did not have any sight. So originally, inmates were housed in cells that could only be accessed by entering a small exercise yard attached to the back. And so, like, they'd go in and the door inside would only have a slit Enough that they could get food from. Oh, shit. Yeah. But very impractical to have to go in the back and all of this shit. So it proved impractical because it was. And so (laughs) middle of construction, they changed it and the prisoners could enter from inside. And it was metal doors. But then they were covered with a heavy wooden door. To filter out the noise. So they were really thick. Again, it was all to be silent. And the halls were designed to have a feel of the church. Everything was very spiritually based here. And the door that they constructed to go in, it was really short and small. And so they say, like some say, it was to protect the guards because the prisoners couldn't rush them yeah. to get out. However, what what the architect said and everything is that the prisoners would have to bow to enter. And that was like bowing to God and, again, being, you know, like yeah. less than and going in and blah, blah, blah. The cells are made of concrete with a single glass skylight. And it represented the eye of God, suggesting that... God was always watching them. They would get one hour of exercise daily. Outside was that little small exercise yard. It was individual because it had high, thick concrete walls. Mm-hmm. And they they had it timed so you and your neighbor wouldn't be out at the same time. Right. It would be like you and three people down, mm-hmm. another person, blah, blah, blah. They were allowed to garden and even keep pets in their exercise yards. What? Yeah, which is like, hopefully they had a fucking cat that you could feed once and not yeah. need, like, all the love and attention that a dog's like, please, please, please. Uh, yes. And then could they roam or were they just, like, stuck in that little... I have no idea. I don't like that. No. I don't either. Well, here's another thing. So, when the prisoner left his cell, always accompanied by a guard, obviously, Mm -hmm. but they would wrap a black hood over their (gasps) head. That was to prevent them from being recognized by other prisoners, and they couldn't, like, make some kind of movement. Yeah, communicate to each other. Yeah, like, I wiggle and be like, assassinate Mm so-and-so, you know? Like, no. And... They couldn't see, they they just couldn't see, like, they couldn't see where they were going, mm-hmm. you know, all of this, which is just, like, whoa. I know. Well, and I was thinking about when I said that about the animals, and I was like, don't like that at all. And I was like, <laughs> we were, like, talking about the animals, and we haven't even talked about, like, holy shit, that the prisoners are being treated that way, yeah. too. Yeah, you know? oh, just wait. For all of their weird things that they have going on. The cell accommodations were very advanced for the time. They included a faucet with running water, a flush toilet, and curved pipes that were along one wall. 
And that would serve as central heat oh. during the winter because the hot water would run through the pipes and then keep it yeah. reasonably warm. The toilets were remotely flushed twice a week by a guard because people were flushing toilets to communicate. Yeah, but Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. can we do it once a day at least? Right. That's disgusting. Yes. Because you know the fucking ventilation in that room wasn't shit. Right. I'm like, I'm wondering how they even had sunlight coming through the room, much less fucking, oh, God. Mm-mm. And like I said, it was originally seven one-story cell blocks, but by the time block three was completed, they were already to capacity because, again, they're all separated. Mm-hmm. So after the third block, all of the other cell blocks had two floors. Toward the end, cell blocks 14 and 15 were really, like, kind of slapped together because of overcrowding. Yeah. So they're just like, whatever, get these people in so we can get our funding. And they were built by the prisoners. Oh, God. Mm Mm-hmm. And cell block 15 was for the worst behaved prisoners. And the guards were gated off from there entirely. So I don't understand how that really worked, but... Maybe, like, they didn't get to go anywhere. Yeah. Which, wow. But how they get their food and shit, too, though. Yeah. I I don't know. So, inmates were punished with the, quote-unquote, individual treatment system, which they thought to be most effective. They would be separated from the others. And this means, like, they did not hear another human voice, sometimes days. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. And they also couldn't even hear, like, noises that the neighbor would make because the walls were so thick. Yeah. The doors were so thick. And the guards even wore coverings over their shoes to minimize the sounds of their footsteps. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, everything was supposed to be silent to for you to realize your wrongdoings. I couldn't even work there, much Mm -mm. less fucking be a prisoner there. Yeah. Like, everything I do is loud. Same. Like, I even fucking breathe loudly. Same. Like, it's, I don't, like, the first thing I would do, the first time I walked on that line, I would slip in my fucking little shoe covers (laughs) and fall and make a big old clank. Mm Mm-hmm. So, just imagine, day after day, night after night, the only sound you hear is, like, you talking in your mind or your own voice. Yeah. So a lot of prisoners were driven to the brink of insanity. Yeah. So this goes without saying that interaction of any form, communication-wise or whatever, very forbidden. And some people, like, when they finally could get, like, oh, my God, I don't care what happens to me. I just... Like, I need to know someone else is out there. Yeah. They would tap on the pipes or whisper through the vents to each other. But if they were caught, the penalty was so brutal, which we'll talk about in a little bit and just get ready. So the very first person to be confined was a burglar by the name of Charles Williams. He was an African-American farmer, and he had the capability of reading. His crime consisted of stealing a watch valued just over $20, which is, I mean, hundreds of dollars. Yeah. 
a gold seal and a key that was composed of gold. He loves gold. What movie? Pretty Woman? No. Ever After? No. Austin Powers. Oh. Gold member. I I just guess the two movies that you always, it is. (laughs) He's like, I love gold. Okay, I hear it now. Okay, so he received a sentence of 24 months. Damn. Some of the most notable people were Joe Buzzard, and he was part of the Buzzard family, which, <laughs> I mean, okay, never heard of them. Mm-mm. I mean, I guess they're kind of like vultures, so. I mean. Yeah. So, there are five brothers, and they all served time at the prison at various times. Uh, he was the youngest and eventually convicted of stealing horses. Another... And I think the most significant person is Al Capone. Mm-hmm. And heard of him. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he was there uh, 29 to 30. So eight months is the max amount. It just, you know, happened to be yeah. New Year's. <laughs> the first conviction was carrying a deadly weapon in a concealed manner. And he was placed on what is often identified as Park Avenue Plock. Very she-she. I mean, nothing but the best. Mm-hmm. And so it was designated for money and notoriety. So his cell included the finest furniture, a special cabinet radio, exquisite rugs, and a wide away... Fuck me. A <laughs> wide array of luxury <laughs> items. So, they have to be completely silent, but here's a fucking radio? Mm-hmm. So, for for the rich people, they they already know that God forgives the rich. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, here's something about Al Capone, then. So, he was part of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and he actually killed someone named James Clark, Well, each night it was said that Capone would scream and he would start screaming to someone he referred as Jimmy, which is short for, well, you know, short, but whatever for James. Yeah. He would beg and plead to go away, leave him alone. And yet every night Jimmy came. mm -hmm. Shit. And so it's like he was haunted by... The thought, I mean, maybe it worked. Maybe the, yeah. you know, or he was actually haunted by Jimmy. The guards would check in and they were never able to identify anyone or anything. So who knows, you know, but they said like he wasn't insane or any of that. Like he tested quote unquote normal and all yeah. of that. Uh, another person was William Sutton. And he was also known as Slick Willie. Mm-hmm. That's where that comes from? Uh, maybe. Yeah, because he was considered to be the most famous bank robber. He was at Eastern State for 11 years. Oh, holy fuck. Mm-hmm. And he tried to escape with some other inmates in 1945. And they, like, legit did... Shawshank Redemption style with like spoons and other things. They carved a tunnel and it was approximately a hundred feet in length. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. And so like they would 
actually put the dirt out in the their little exercise mm-hmm. things and everything. So, I mean, it's like, Stephen King, I see you. Crazy. Well, he didn't get far before being caught. Like, everyone got caught. Yeah. Some actually got away for like a couple of months, but everyone got caught. But he was the leader, and he like literally got caught going out, I feel like. I mean, it was yeah, it just was like... like Turn around, slick. You ain't that slick. Yeah. Okay. And so the most famous person is not actually a person. One animal was imprisoned at Eastern State. What? Yeah. So the Pennsylvania governor, Gifford Pitchell. <laughs> oh, okay. I know him. Uh-huh. He sentenced a dog named Pep, and the dog was believed to have murdered his wife's cat. What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, he's a cat killer. Not a cat burglar. Yeah, I said cat robber. Sorry, I fucked up the joke. So the dog was welcomed by the guards, and he was issued an inmate identification number, and he also had to sit for a mugshot. That's kind of (laughs) cute. Oh, my God. Did he have to stay in a stupid room like that, though? I have no idea. Better not have. All right, so here, like, yeah, that's kind of cute, but here we get... Not, not so, so cute. cute. Is this what Shawshank's based on? I don't think so. If it's like really poor treatment and stuff like that, like I wonder if it is. I don't think so. I, I mean, Shawshank, the prison and stuff was based on something, but I don't think it was. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay. So first we have the water bath. And so if the inmates broke rules, they would be dunked into a bath of ice cold water then hung from a wall <gasps> for the night. What? And they really did this during the winter months. No. When the water on the inmate's skin would actually form a layer of ice. No. Yes. Okay. So then the second thing is called the mad chair. And it's called that because it wasn't uncommon for an inmate to actually go mad before his punishment ended. Are you serious? Yes. They'd be strapped into the chair with leather straps so tightly that it would be impossible for them to make even the smallest amount of movement. They would sit here for days <gasps> without food until the circulation in their body almost stopped from the tightness of the straps. Holy shit. After an extended period of time without without circulation and movement... Many prisoners would be unable to walk for days until they recovered. And then some lost arms and legs to amputation because the circulation didn't return. Meanwhile, too, they shit and pissed themselves. Yeah. Okay. So then you think that's bad. Mm -mm. This is called the iron gag. And it was the most deadly And it was specifically designed for the inmates who refused to obey the no communication policies. An iron collar was clamped onto the tongue of the inmate (gasps) and then chained to his wrist, which were strapped high behind their back. And any movement resulted in tearing of the tongue and severe bleeding. No. Mm -hmm. Please don't tell me they had to stay there for a long time. It was a while. It wouldn't be days, but it would be like a day or hours. Yeah. And so they, a lot of people who 
had to suffer through this, they died before the the punishment ended because of loss of blood. Because can you imagine? You're weak anyway, uh-huh. and you're just whatever. But then any slight movement of your hands above, above your, your head, head. I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Mm-mm. And then there's the hole, and it was dug under cell block 14. The hole was nothing but a pit in the ground. Like, no window, no door, no, like, I mean, it was a literal, like, you couldn't stand up. You couldn't stretch your legs out. Nothing. Like, you had to, like, basically just hunker down. You know, like, so... Again, circulation wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Little to no air. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. And they would only receive water and one slice of bread. And they had to get to it before the rats and the, oh. R- the other R word. Uh-uh. Nope, 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 nope. Fucking absolutely not. I would rather die. I mean, I would rather die. Mm-hmm. Y- you know. I mean, for all of that. Mm-hmm. Like... I am not strong enough. <laughs> like no, I, I am not strong enough. Mm-mm. I would die. I mean, the neo gothic structure would get me. I'd be like, "Ooh, that looks scary." I ain't gonna do shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, who the fuck can come up with some of that torture? Like jigsaw. It, I mean, legitimately. <laughs> yes. Like I don't want to fucking play a game. I <laughs> let me go home. Right. I want to go home, Boris. <laughs> So, again, this penitentiary was so revolutionary, and the design was so interesting. Tourists. Tourists? Tourists. Tourists. <laughs> they began to come to Philadelphia for a glimpse of the prison, because that's what you do. I mean, I would probably go, too. But, <laughs> you know. So, 1830s, 1840s, you could tour the prison. Mm-hmm. The most notable person was Charles Dickens. I've heard of him. <laughs> I hope so. And he was appalled by the conditions. And he was like, you're treating them so poorly. Like, how can you rehabilitate them? Yeah. You know? And so he described the inmates as being buried alive. Oh, God. And he just, he wrote about the psychological torture that they suffered at the hands of the guards and uh, just a lot. So prior to the reform in 1913, the prison was designed to house 250 inmates. It had over 1,700 prisoners into tiny makeshift cells where there was little light and even less ventilation. Wait, so it was meant for 250 people mm-hmm. and they had 1,700? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah. So even that small fucking cell they had, it's like, oh, no, hold on. We got to put a wall here. Get, you know, like, what? Like, I have an inch. Now I have a millimeter. Like, what the fuck? And it's not like they could just pile five people in one of those cells because mm-hmm. they had to be alone. Yeah. So the conditions were unacceptable at this point. And so the prison was taken over and reformed. And then, so the it was called the Pennsylvania system. That was abolished. They're like, okay, no, you we can't have them all separate in 
solitary confinement, Mm -hmm. 23 hours a day. In, like, the worst conditions known to man. Like, I mean, our solitary confinement now is still 23 hours a day. Yeah. But you can bet your ass they're shooting kites down the down the cell block you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah they weren't fucking doing that here Mm-mm. so finally in 1971 this huge prison was closed 1971 yes shit and by the time it closed roughly seventy-five thousand men and women and one dog served time so today it's open to the public for tours if you want to be a tourist or however I said it <laughs> earlier. So in the 142 year history, it's full of suicides. Oh, I can't even. Yeah. Over 50. 50 suicides. Mm-hmm. That's it. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I would have guessed it would be like legitimately like almost like half of the, yeah. you know, at least a quarter of the people who live, who went. I, I don't know. I can't even fucking say words because I'm so stressed out by this person. I know. Well, I, it probably would have been more had they had the instruments to do so, but they were just so restricted yeah. that they couldn't. I mean, and I mean, you might think, oh, I'll die by suicide by doing the iron gag and just pull it. No, like you wouldn't. But you no. know, but the one minute your no. hand slips, you're like, oh, fuck, no, no, mm-mm, no, mm-mm. no, no. So, full of suicide, madness, disease, murder, over 12 murders. How? How? I mean, they're resourceful. But some of that was from, like, the torture and, yeah. Like, torture from the guards, not the punishment. Okay. I'm sure they counted that as something else. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be like, okay, we murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. 25,000. Yeah. You know. Legitimately, that was the number I was expected more. Yeah. So, all of that bad shit, we know. Mm-hmm. That energy, oh my gosh, can you even imagine? No. And also, like most of these stories, the, actually, the time it was functioning and everything, it's much more scary than the ghosts that have it oh, now. Oh, absolutely. Like, oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, how do you, as a fucking guard, go home and sleep at night? Right. I mean, aside from being the one carrying out the punishments, just watching mm-hmm. the punishments. Oh, my God. There's no fucking way. Mm-mm. So, it is considered to be one of the most haunted places in America. It's been featured on Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters, MTV's Fear. Remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. So, tourists and employees have heard weeping, giggling, and whispering, which all of the above, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. One of the most popular sites was on Ghost Hunters, and it was inside one of the catwalk sections of the facility, and they saw a shadow figure that was caught on camera, and so it was kind of like running And then it kind of, what it looks like is that it's, like, fucking skipping and, like, ooh, I'm having a great time. And then it's, like, oh, shit, what is that? And, like, it sees the camera and then it's, like, gotta go, bye. Yeah. You know, and so it's just, like, kind of running and it's, like, go on. Yeah. It goes, skirt. Yeah. (laughs) 
And a lot of people have experienced extreme temperature fluctuations in this part. One time there's an EVP called and it was a male voice that said, I'm lonely. Oh, a lot of the people who have worked or explored cell block 12, which is restricted part in the facility, they've heard echoing voices, cackling that they say will make your hair stand up. Ugh. Cell block six is known for shadowy figures that will dart along the walls. And cell block four is known for visions of ghostly faces on the walls. People have reported seeing a silhouette of a guard in one of the towers. They've heard footsteps, wails, which, God bless it, whispers. And so, I mean, same stories over and over and over again. A lot of time walking through the cell blocks, they feel like they are being watched and just very, like, that overbearing presence and energy. And one of the most popular ghost stories is from a man named Gary Johnson, and he was a locksmith. He was doing some restoration work in cell block four, and, like, according to this story, he was working to remove a very old fucking lock, like, 140 years old, year old, whatever, English, I don't know it. Me neither. Uh, But from a cell door and, like, suddenly a massive force just overcame him so powerfully that he was unable to move. Oh, my God. Yeah. And some believe that he removed the key. Like, when he removed that key and lock, it kind of, like, was a gateway that he opened up, you know? Yeah. And so it was just, like, whoosh. Oh, my God. Through him. And uh, he said he... It was kind of like out-of-body experience yeah. in that it was just like all that negative energy kind of just like pushed his energy out for a second. But what he did see was a lot of ghostly faces all like swirling around the cell block, Mm-mm. kind of. And then one like dominating entity or form that seemed to draw Gary to him And so, like, I just picture, you know, those wind tunnels that you can go through to, like, get money or whatever. And so, I just, what I picture is, like, these ghostly faces and, like, this force is, like, pulling him, I'm going to say down, like, in the thing to get the money or whatever. But, you know, like, he's just, like, going more into it. But it's, like, fucking scary as shit Mm because, you know, like, they're all around you. All I can think about (laughs) Is from Matilda when they're like, let's get sticky with Mickey. And they like pour like honey all over you. And then you get that machine with the money and you have to like stick it to you. Oh my God. I've never watched Matilda. What? Yeah, I know. That is one of my favorite movies of all time. I know. You talk about it and now I'll pass. Oh my God. (laughs) Love that movie. I know there was a, a meme about that. I feel cute or like. Yes. About Miss like, Trunchbull. I'm going to put you in the chokey. Yeah. I was like, huh. I don't know. I figured it was from that. So some other stuff that has happened. They hear people crying in extreme pain. So like in the mad chair room, mm. like hearing this. Ugh. Orbs and streaks of light can be seen. 
sometimes people like visitors have said they've heard someone calling them by their name and then if they turn around like all they see is like a figure that vanishes Mm-mm. how they know their name right Sometimes they can feel someone tap them on the shoulder, but when they turn around, no one's there. Mm -mm. And this one gets me. They say they hear loud, sadistic laughter. Mm -mm. Uh Uh-uh. Because all I can think about is, like, if it's one of the guards or something. I know. Or whoever's doing the torturing of those things. Oh, God. (laughs) That's also what I think of. Yeah. Or, I mean, people who were driven mad in that. True. And, you know, oh, God. And they're like. All of it is just bad. Yeah. They're like, come at me, bro. Right. In one of the cell blocks, they hear the doors, like, shut Mm -hmm. really fast. But, obviously, like, they're not doing that. They hear furniture being dragged around some. And, apparently, a lot of workers quit without any notice or anything. It's just like, uh uh-uh, something is bad here. Like, I'm out. Yes. Also, because sometimes they just fall sick and Mm -mm. other visitors will do the same thing from all of the negative energy. Mm -mm. Okay, so I found on Reddit, because you know I love to go there, Mm -hmm. and it was someone's trip to Eastern State. And I'm not going to read all of this stuff, but of course, like their camera equipment died and all of that. Yeah. Um, And they were just giving some backstory and said, like, two years ago, they went, took some pictures, and everything worked until they got to the death row area. And then all of their electronics died, like I Mm -hmm. said. So one of their friends, Matt, was like, look, help me film some stuff, but, you know, blah, 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 blah. So they're like, all right, I'll go back. Like, let's do this. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, safety in numbers. At first, nothing really happened. They had, like, glimpses here and there, but wasn't anything. But when they got to the cell block next to Death Row, they picked up something. And it was the smell of cologne. So, he goes into saying, like, it. no one was by them at the time. So, it wasn't like someone had walked through or, you know, what, whatnot. Yeah. So, when they realized that, they're like, all right, let's, like, let's get out of this area and it seemed to follow them every step no matter how far away they got it was like someone was right there on them and they could smell that cologne then right when they were outside of death row the the rider here was pushed Mm-mm. and pushed hard Mm-mm. matt the friend caught this person so they uh-uh. didn't hit the ground And they heard a man's laugh just echoing from death row. And then the smell disappeared. Mm -mm. Nope. So they were like, no, this is a warning. Yeah. You know, uh uh-uh. And it's already following us. We don't want to follow the fuck out of here. So let's go. And so he wrote this story saying like, hey, look, it's scary, but do not go to death row. Yeah. Because now this is twice something has happened on death row. Mm -mm. So they have this annual haunted house Halloween event. And it's called Terror Behind the Walls. And I think it first took place in 1991. In my head I was going, Terror, Terror, T-T-T, Terror, Terror, T-T-T. Oh, my God. Okay. So this woman, Amy, she's the creative director and the general manager of 
terror behind the walls. And she has been working for like 13 seasons. Damn. And she had her first paranormal experience on site. She said that prior to this, she was a skeptic. You know, that's why she kind of took this position because she's like, whatever. Yeah. You know, and she's all about manufacturing the scares. So, you know, once you are the one, like a magician, yeah. like, you know, the tricks and shit, you're like, it ain't real. Mm-hmm. Well, it is. So, on mischief night during her first season of working, she was cleaning paintbrushes with a colleague. They were the last two people on the premise. And then, all of a sudden, in the back area of the room they were in, they started to hear these sounds. And it was like a person stamping something. So, like, approved. Yeah. Denied. And then, it was paper moving over repeatedly. Then, they heard a sound of a cup move. And so... All in all, it lasted about 15 seconds, but she was like, those were sounds that should not have been made. Yeah. And it was terrifying, so it sounded like it lasted for minutes, you know? I was going to say, that's a lot of detail for just, like, 15 seconds of sound. Yeah. And a lot of sounds, I feel like. Yeah. Probably they lasted, probably, honestly... 10 minutes, 10 seconds each. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Or like whatever. Maybe it was just independently yeah. sounds lasted that long. Who knows? Well, but, Amy knows. So, yeah. Well, and when you're scared too, again, time stands still. Yes. So she said that she was petrified, scared stiff. So her and her colleague linked arms, left the building in silence, like didn't want to really mention it. Yeah. Yeah. But so. Another part is that she works with the actors, you know, Mm -hmm. and she said she had two more ghostly accounts. And according to one of the ghost investigators, cell block 12 is one of the hottest paranormal spots. And an actor said to her one year, Amy, I cannot work the top floor of the cell block 12 anymore. Can you move my spot? So she asked, like, Okay, why? You know? Yeah. And he's like, there's a ghost up there. And when I was at the edge of the cell block, it looked like this woman was running towards me and screaming. And once she got close to me, she turned around and ran back. And so she was like, okay, that's weird. Yeah. But like, we'll switch, whatever. So three years later, a completely different actor came to her similar story about the second floor of cell block 12 being haunted. And he said, you'll never believe this, but I think it was a banshee. What? (laughs) It was flying down the cell block towards me, screaming, and then it turned back. And so she's like, "Mm, like, what are the odds that, like, it's happened again? And that guy had completely changed and probably honestly didn't work there anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, and that's a long span of time. Yeah. So then they had this issue where... A visitor had taken a bolt from one of the cell blocks or whatever, Mm -hmm. and they ended up mailing a letter with that bolt included, and they were like, look, I regret taking it because I've had the worst luck ever since. I've heard of that before. I've heard this that story before. Really? I just didn't know where. Yeah, because they... I'm not going to guess it, but go ahead. Okay. But I have heard this before. Okay, so... They returned the bolt in a bag of sage, and they were like, can you please put this back exactly where I found it? 
So the technical director, James Travis, he also had his own moment with the spirit. So it was close to midnight on a rainy and windy Friday during the fall of 2012. There was an event that evening and all the guests and staff had left the property by now. He noticed a large steel panel that had been delivered to him at the gatehouse. And so he wanted to move it out of the way and decided to take it to cell block 12. No, don't go there. Right. (laughs) So he said he planned to put it just inside the gate there. The dolly kept sliding out of the way. So he had to use both hands to get the gate open. All of a sudden he felt a presence of someone behind him. And he said that he knew everyone had left the property. So his first suspicion was, oh, fuck, someone has snuck onto the property. Yeah. And is about to fucking murder me or Wouldn't something. Wouldn't that be some shit? Right? So when Travis turns around, he sees a short man, only about 5'4", standing a few feet away from him. He was like, okay, I'm ready to fucking fight. Like, so yeah. he threw back his fist. He, you know, like... Fuck this shit. Not going down tonight, you know? Then he realized he was translucent and dressed in Civil War era military clothes. What? Mm-hmm. And then he disappeared. So later, Travis found out that Eastern State was operational during the Civil War. Okay. And so it's like, oh shit. Yeah. Well, I was just about to say, how in the fuck? Yeah. Then there are a few other stories from people who work at the terror. And they said that they, some haven't seen like any physical forms, but it's that overbearing presence and the negative energy that they feel. One time this performer, Jennifer, she said that her heart throbbed and she felt cold and queasy while standing in three locations. The warden's office. The very back section of the Klondike, which was like the punishment cells. Yeah. And near a pipe closet in the second floor of Death Row. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. So Mm -mm. that is Eastern State Penitentiary. Holy shit. Right? And again, like I said, the history is always scarier than the haunting. Absolutely. And there were a lot more, like I could have went through ghost adventures again and everything, mm-hmm. but I think that just stands on its own. Yeah. It's crazy to think about just the inhumane treatment and mm-hmm. like, and I know we've talked about this before on the podcast, how it's like, you really do go through a roller coaster of emotion when it comes to people who are incarcerated, you know, and it's like their rights as a human being versus... Mm-hmm. You know, being convicted of a crime, yada, yada, yada. But I don't give a fuck what you did. Nobody deserves that. No. And a lot of these were petty crimes. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, like, everything that you said that they did, it was like a fucking robbery. Yeah. Like, really small. Insignificant Mm -hmm. crimes that just don't fucking matter. I I mean, you know what I mean. Yes. In the, not that don't matter. Insignificant in that. It doesn't fucking deserve this level of yeah hell. Yeah. Literally, hell on earth. All right. So. Well, that was really good. I really liked that. I love prisons. I love knowing yeah. about, you know, I really liked that. Yay. Well, that's where your people should have been. Not here, but like in prison. Mm-hmm. Well, they are. Yeah. Well. Or dead. 
well, Carol might be haunting a cell block. Oh, mm. my God. If she, You know what? If she is still roaming the halls of her prison, you know if any male goes up in there and said, Carol, she'd be in succubus. Mm-hmm. She'd be oh. like, hello. You know that you want to talk about a trigger object. Any fucking man. Uh-huh. Oh, well, and honestly, any woman, too, though. I mean, yeah. I, you know she was like, whew. She just, gimme, gimme, gimme. I need attention. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, but you can see why. I mean. Oh, God. Yeah, her her mama locked her out and was like, you don't live here anymore. You don't exist to me. Fuck. And ignored her. And then her dad, who, of course, she thought was her saving grace, mm-hmm. turned out to be a complete fucking monster, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Okay, so what we learn. People are capable of really, really bad shit. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, people are capable of really amazing shit. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at some of the, I mean, obviously, all the stories. But, yeah, let's do number two. People are capable of amazing shit. Because think about the ingenuity that it took to fucking use a, a spork to tunnel <laughs> your way out of this prison. You know? Yeah. And some of them got away. I mean, they may have been caught later, but they got out. You yeah. know? Like, that's some fucking serious ingenuity. It really is. But we should not applaud them for that. We should <laughs> channel it and tell them to use it for good. Uh-huh. And then I think to wrap it up, we should say, love yourself. Yes. Love yourself and respect yourself because no nobody is worth that. No. Nobody is really worth, are. yeah, nobody is worth you losing your self-worth. Mm-hmm. Bless her heart. Bless her heart. But seriously, I echo that 100%. Love yourself. I'm looking at you, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Look, and, and you know, it's all easier said than done. You know, it's all like, you know, you have friends and relationships or whatever, and you're like, you need to leave that person. You need to da 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 da. You need to. But when you're the one in the situation, unless you're Donna, because that bitch can cut a bitch. <laughs> I mean, you you will be out of her life, and and I mean, no fucking hard feelings. She <laughs> she gone. You gone. But it's easier said than done. And so it's we're all works in progress. Mm-hmm. But first step is to love yourself. Definitely. And remember, creep it real, and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.